What if in 2024, you got a little bit better every day? When you're learning a new language with Babbel, that's exactly what you're doing. And if Babbel can help you start speaking a new language in just three weeks, imagine what you could do in a full year. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts to help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's convenient courses are helping me learn real-life conversation skills in Spanish. It's getting so easy to learn how to order food, ask for directions, or speak to merchants. Studies from Yale, Michigan State University, and others continue to prove Babbel is better. One study found that using Babbel for 15 hours is equivalent to a full semester at college. Babbel has over 16 million subscriptions sold. Plus, all of Babbel's 14 award-winning language courses are backed by their 20-day money-back guarantee. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get 55% off your Babbel subscription, but only for our listeners at babbel.com SPP. That's right. Get 55% off at babbel.com slash SPP. That's spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash SPP. Rules and restrictions may apply. Dreaming of a better sleep? Tossing and turning is not your destiny. And Ollie is here to help. Ollie invites you to sink into sweet, sweet slumber to improve your mental and physical health and overall wellness. More than just melatonin, Ollie's ingredients help you unwind your mind for a delightfully dreamy drift off. Sleep is on the way at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. Did you know that research suggests up to 80% of your immune system relies on a healthy gut? The people at Young Health do, which is why they've developed Probimune a liquid probiotic that promotes intestinal health and contains a unique blend of bacteria not found in 99% of other probiotics. Probimune is easy to use, easy to travel with, and does not require refrigeration. Right now, our listeners get 50% off their first order of Probimune. That's a $34.95 bottle of Probimune for just $17.48 plus shipping and handling. Just go to www.probimune.com P-R-O-B-I-M-U-N-E dot com and use promo code SMART at checkout to get 50% off today. The podcast where we talk to smart people, but not necessarily done by smart people. That is an awesome question. This one goes down probably on one of my top five. Hey, I like nutrition. I like to eat food. This is the coolest thing ever. We're going to do this forever. I wish I paid more attention in that class. You know, I'm going to be honest, I don't understand that. As a man, I just, I don't get it. Welcome to smartpeoplepodcast.com. Hello and welcome to Smart People Podcast, conversations that satisfy your curious mind. Chris Stemp here. Thank you so much for tuning in today, wherever you are in the world. It's kind of crazy to think about different people listening to this all over the planet, trying to soak new things in improve their life, learn, grow. It's great. It's a great community here. And today we hope not to disappoint another episode where hopefully at the end, you'll come away. You'll have some actionable steps to use in your life to become more productive. That's right. Today on the show, we are talking about productivity with expert Chris Bailey. Chris is the author of the book, The Productivity Project. Accomplishing More by Managing Your Time, Attention, and Energy. You can also find Chris at his website, which is alifeofproductivity.com. And by the way, I say productivity. Some people say productivity. I also happen to teach productivity. So this is just my thing and I'm sticking to it. But either way, tomato, tomato. Anyways, back to it. Essentially, it all started when Chris decided to have a year-long productivity project where he conducted intensive research as well as dozens of productivity experiments on himself to discover how to become as productive as possible. Since then, he has written hundreds of articles on the subject and has garnered coverage in media as diverse as the New York Times, Huffington Post, New York Magazine. He has spoke at TEDx. Also, he has been in Fast Company and Lifehacker. 
His book, The Productivity Project, has received a lot of praise for its useful tips and its down-to-earth style with real-life examples and recommendations. So in this episode, we kind of geek out on productivity because I do I teach this subject. I'm a productivity consultant for Franklin Covey, and I fly around the country and and do seminars on productivity, time management, goal setting, things that go into that and what it truly means to work on the things that are most important. So I wanted to have Chris on to see, you know, from his perspective, from his expertise and his experiments, what has he learned? And of course, it turns out that much of what we both believe and know is similar, if not the same. So it's probably a pretty good bet to help improve your productivity. But you be the judge and feel free to let us know. Reach out to us on Twitter at SmartPeoplePod. That's probably the best way to find us. And as always, be sure to sign up for our newsletter at SmartPeoplePodcast.com. Bottom right-hand corner, you'll be able to sign up or there's a pop-up there. I know I've had some really great email conversations recently with some folks. Spiros, thanks so much for reaching out. Noah, really appreciated your email. Heather, that was great. You know who you are. Don't need to go into it. That's it for now. Head on over to smartpeoplepodcast.com. See what we're all about. And as always, enjoy this episode with Chris Bailey as we talk about his book, The Productivity Project, Accomplishing More by Managing Your Time, Attention, and Energy. Enjoy. What was the shift from whatever you were doing, maybe this was it, into kind of entrepreneurialism, speaking, writing, content creation, productivity, yeah. all that? What did that look like? It looked kind of weird, right? Because productivity, <laughs> it's not something that exists in the foreground of your life. It's kind of something that exists in the background. Uh, and so that, that's what I found myself doing, you know, for the better part of a decade, reading blogs and books and stuff like that. Um, it was kind of in the background of my life throughout that process, though. And so, you know, I figured when I looked at the things that I was most curious about when I graduated, productivity was really uh, one of the things that I was the most curious about, you know, you know astronomy uh, is was another one, but it's hard to make a living researching astronomy unless you're an astronomer, generally speaking. <laughs> and so I figured, like, let's let's bring this curiosity from the background of my life to the foreground of my life. And so that's that that was how everything all started. Um, I, I got a couple jobs after I graduated university, but I figured, you know, if there was a time to to dive deep into this curiosity, it was then. Uh, and so I declined those job offers and I started the productivity project. And that's when everything kind of began to, to build and compound. And the productivity project uh, being obviously the book, but there's more to it. And we'll get into yeah. that. When was that? When did that happen? That was May of 2013. Okay. So a couple of years back, because there was like the year of, of doing the project of mm -hmm. doing these weird ass experiments mm -hmm. on myself and and interviewing the greats and and research it was first and foremost a research project and mm -hmm. so doing a, a boat boatload of research so there was the year and then takes a year to to write a book after that and so then the book came out and so that that's where we're at today so it was a couple years back did you ever for for all the entrepreneurs out there and there are a lot that listen to the show there's a lot of entrepreneurs small business owners leaders coaches everything yeah. We, we like to talk about doubt. We like to talk about self-doubt oh, yeah. here. And not in the way of focusing on it, but learning from those who have pushed through it, such as yourself. Yeah. You know, without the perhaps formal route, which we talked to plenty of them, the PhD, the da-da-da-da-da, you know, did you, did you have a doubt or did you say, look, I mean, I really liked how you talked about curiosity. This is something I'm curious about. Let me do it. Let's see what happens. How did that work? And there... You know? There was so much doubt, and it, it <laughs> followed me through the the productivity project. And it's not it's not really a sexy thing to talk about, but it's so true. There there were so many times. Um, you know, I, I remember one week during the project. I think it was October. I started in May. Um, you know, the TED Talks organization they interviewed me, and and the lead they used for the article, and I remember it because we have it on on my book is uh, Chris Bailey might be the most productive man you'd ever hope to meet. And that was a week when I was like a total slob. I didn't want to work. I didn't want to write. I was procrastinating like crazy. And I thought, like, really? That's me? And, and so it, it's it's tough 
when situations like that fill you with doubt and you know it followed me throughout the process especially at the start of it because uh that may you know it, the the decision to decline a couple frankly good paying jobs to start a, a curiosity project where you're making no money and you know try try explaining that to your grandma where <laughs> where you know grandma you know i'm i'm declining these jobs to start a blog for a year you know how how do you feel about that right um and it's hard not to be filled with doubt when when the the people around you and there were you know a few select people in my life that um supported me even though they didn't under, really understand what i was doing but especially at the start when you know i started with no following online and and so uh, I, I didn't really have any any footprint in the productivity space. And so when nobody visits your site and when the people around you are telling you to doubt yourself and, and the decisions you make, this self-talk comes into play. And so the thoughts like, you know, I'm way out of my element here or I know they'll say no or I'm a fraud when, when the Ted blurb came out mm-hmm. or, you know, I can't do anything, anything right. And uh, I, I've done a lot of research into the self-talk too where, you know, I, I look at the reason and I think one study that I encountered found that 80% of the things that we say to ourselves over the course of the day is negative. And it's it's a mind blowing statistic, and you see it especially with entrepreneurs. But the fact that so much of it is naturally negative, it's kind of refreshing. It's like a load off your shoulders where you can kind of think, ah, oh, you know, this is not something that is unique to me. You know, this is something that is unique to to being human. It is, and that's the thing. I will say one of the most enlightening aspects of this podcast. You know, two 200- hundred. I don't even know how many episodes in at this point. You should know. You should know, man. (laughs) I should, but it has just become such a part of my life that I do all the stuff I enjoy. And then John, my, you know, colleague does the posting and the website. And so that just is what it is. You know what I mean? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But so many of these people from all walks of life and the essence of being human, the, the, the similarities amongst everyone from the CEO to the, you know, the small business owner and the entrepreneur to the, to the worker, to the thinker. Um, it's always fun. And I, I, I feel yeah. like it's so much connection because people can get on a mic and almost instantly we have some rapport and we start talking about the things that other people think, but perhaps don't get to discuss and learn about such as yeah. the doubt and the fraud and whatever and how pushing through that can now get to where you are. So tell the, us a little the bit. Curious, oh, the, the curious part, sorry to interrupt yeah. the next question, no, no, no. Uh, was that with each big interview where you know it, it provided me with validation in, in some extent and with each you know big person covering my, my website at the time and, and now the book, you know, it provides you with some validation. But at the same time, it provides you with some doubt. And so I think validation and doubt go hand in hand. Mm. Um, you know, validation without doubt is, uh, is pretty shallow, I think. But, you know, that's why social media exists to a certain extent, because, you know, we wouldn't visit Twitter or Facebook if it didn't provide us with, you know, a little nugget of validation each time we visited it. Mm. But at the same time, you know, I, I think the best decisions in our life and the best success in our life uh, provides us with, with a bit of both. Yeah, it's funny, too, because I feel like there are some people out there who can take the validation and never feel the doubt. And I've oh, al- I, and I've always said, I actually think that would be a blissful existence. Although ignorant, it would be blissful. And, and full of yourself, <laughs> frankly. Yeah, yeah I don't wish I was the, you know, that person for others, but sometimes yeah. for my own mental health. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> but Sorry, anyways, I rudely interrupted you before no, you were answering, no, asking the next Yeah, question. all I was going to say was... You know, so you've made it through that doubt. You've got this book, The Productivity yeah. Project. You've got your blog. Tell us more about, you know, where you feel you are today, what you're doing, what your kind of passion is. And as we were talking about, I know speaking is what's kind of paying the bills. So tell us about your business yeah. right now. Speaking is a is a weird part of my business because I get so much pleasure out of speaking. And writing a book, it, you know, you get a lot of emails and and feedback that way of people who love the book 
and people who, you know, were helped out by the book. But at at the end of the day, it's an email. It's a bunch of words on a screen and you don't get to actually see the person behind it. So that's what I love about speaking, about productivity, about, you know, how we can focus better and manage our time better. It's They seem like such dry and dull topics. So to, to go into a room and actually, you know, help people out and hopefully entertain them at the same time, it, it's, uh, you know, it's a chance to change somebody and see the process of them changing and thinking differently about a subject like productivity. And so that that's taken up a good amount of my time now as I kind of, you know, focus on the book as as well as uh, maybe, another, you know, brainstorming another idea or two for a book. And so that's where I'm at right now. And, you know, I'm I'm I feel like the luckiest person in the world. You know, I, I get to go into work every day. Uh, you know, it's basically across the hall because I work from home. I have, I have an office here as I was showing you beforehand, mm-hmm. before when we were on the video call. But, you know, I, I get to do what I'm passionate about every day, uh, which is writing and experimenting with productivity. So that's where I'm at right now. Well, let's talk about productivity because I, yeah. I actually, one of the things I was really interested to almost mind meld with you here, I work uh, as part of what I do. I consult for Franklin Covey as part of their productivity practice. So I actually do a lot of speaking on productivity. Cool. Um, but you went about it a different way and, and these experiments and everything, which, you know, a la like Tim Ferriss type thing. And again, the more people I interview, the more research I do, I'm starting to put more, more emphasis or, you know, a, lend more truth to people's personal experiences rather than like studies show or science says just yeah. to some extent i think we swung the pendulum swung all the way to science you know yeah. oh everything has to be proven by an experiment and now we're seeing what the repercussions of that can be so anyways i'd like to talk about your experiments so for those of you that are unaware um listening you know chris what did you do to get yourself you know, really in this productivity mindset and and learn about it and live it. Yeah. So when I started, you know, what has now become the Productivity Project, it was a blog called The Year of Productivity at the time. Um, I looked at how much money I had in the bank account because, you know, declining those two full-time jobs, I would have no income coming in over the course of the year. Um, and so I had about 12 grand that, that I'd saved up. And, you know, it's not a, that's Canadian dollars too. So you have to, you know, subtract <laughs> several thousand when you convert it into US dollars. But, you know, eating a lot of beans and rice and, you know, uh, living cheaply with, with my girlfriend at the time, you know, I figured it was enough runway uh, to make it through a year of exploring this curiosity. And so I figured, though, at the same time, if I'm going to only have a year to do this, I don't want to just, you know, read a bunch of uh, studies over the course of every day. You know, where's the fun in that? Uh, Or even interviewing people. Where's the fun in that? Uh, I I wanted to get my hands dirty with this subject of productivity. And so I tried everything that I could think of that could possibly impact my productivity. And I took things to the extreme as well, you know, living in total isolation for a week to experiment with, uh, you know, how people influence our productivity and our motivation. Uh, Drinking only water for a month, so cutting out alcohol and caffeine and and other uh, drinks like that, sugary drinks, to see how that impacted my energy. You know, waking up at 5.30, there's this saying that the early bird gets the worm. And and so I woke up at 5.30 for a month after struggling to shoehorn this habit into my life, and that led me to realize that I hated it. And I think a lot of productivity experts fall into that trap. You know, there are these changes that feel like such amazing sepia tone fantasy ideas like waking up at 5:30 every morning before the rest of the world even you know wakes up to, you know you have a coffee and you meditate and you go to the gym and you do yoga um, but I realized that I hated that ritual and that led me to a lot of research on, you know, the idea of a change being different from what it's actually like to practice the change in reality and you know how there's zero difference in socioeconomic standing between somebody who wakes up early and somebody who wakes up later. It's what we do with the hours of our day after we wake up that make the biggest difference. And and so there were dozens of experiments like these ones, uh, being a total slob for a week, uh, you know, working 90 hour weeks for a month uh, that 
allowed me to get my hands dirty. And not only that, but write about productivity in a way that was not boring because productivity for so many people, you know, they think of this idea that's about this cold and corporate efficiency and boiling your life down to a spreadsheet. But, uh, you know, my, my angle was, you know, productivity is just how much we accomplish over the course of the day. And so what will allow us to accomplish more? And, and the experiments kind of allowed me to get my hands dirty while I, while I looked at the research and, and interviewed people at the same time. Yeah. I was glad you added that, that last point, you know, uh, you talk about in your book and on your blog and it's kind of becomes well known when you look into it, you did a lot of the, you did a lot of the work as well, getting caught up on the, the science of productivity, if you will. And, Cause yeah. I think that's important. Although I, I mentioned, you know, science, we swung the pendulum, but it's also, it needs to be there or an understanding or research because if it was just, Hey, I'm going to try things for a year, it could seem a bit self-serving, you know? So it's like, okay, yeah, a bit empty. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to do some things for a year so I can say I did them and then write about them. So that that's my job. You know what I mean? A big flashy year long project. Yeah. yeah. And that's the thing with a lot of productivity advice is, you know, it's fun to read about. There's a lot of productivity porn out there, but if it doesn't, if that advice doesn't stand on a foundation of science, where does it stand? You know, it's just pseudoscientific advice and, and there's no basis in that. And, you know, it, there isn't research on, on everything under the sun. Like self-talk is a good example of that. Uh, no matter how deep I try to dive into the subject of self-talk, there's just not much research on it because you can't really measure what somebody is thinking. You can only rely on their self-reports of what's going, what the hell is going on in their head and, and everybody's subjective experience on that. But for most of the topics, you know, curiously in the productivity project, I didn't realize this until after the project was finished, by the way. Um, but after it was finished, I realized that everything I experimented with or researched or interviewed somebody about uh, fell into one of three categories, either managing our time, you know, time is integral to productivity, but also managing our attention, you know, how well we focus and how, uh, how frequently we're distracted and our energy. So how much fuel we have in the tank in order to get stuff done. And I, I think that's a cool frame for the research that's been conducted on productivity and, and how we're motivated throughout the day. Everything that influences our productivity falls into one of those three different categories. And so it, it's curious, it, you know, you come up with some amazing insights when you start with the research and work your way backwards to how we should act differently. And that's not to say that all the research is true. There's a lot of bad studies out there, you know, studies where they measure 10 students and figure out how they perform best. But there's a lot of good stuff out there too, especially with regard to those three areas. And now a quick word from this week's sponsor. Did you know that research suggests up to 80% of your immune system relies on a healthy gut? The people at Young Health do, which is why they've developed ProbeMune a liquid probiotic that promotes intestinal health and contains a unique blend of bacteria not found in 99% of other probiotics. Probimune's industry-leading fermentation process ensures the largest number of good bacteria are delivered alive in the gut. After all, it's not about how many billions of bacteria are in a probiotic, it's about how many survive the digestive process. Probimune is easy to use, easy to travel with, doesn't require refrigeration, and it's great for the whole family. Right now, our listeners can get the exclusive offer of 50% off your first order of Probimune, a 30-day supply that's normally $34.95 for just $17.48 plus shipping and handling. All you have to do is go to www.probimune.com. That's www.probimune.com and use the promo code SMART at checkout to receive 50% off your first order of Probimune. That's www.probimune.com, P-R-O-B-I-M-U-N-E.com, and use promo code SMART to get 50% off today. And now, back to the episode. The first thing I want to ask is, you know, take yourself back to that project and that year. At the end of oh. it, what were some surprising things that you almost, not only did you not expect them, but was there anything you even expected the opposite to occur, some things that really jolted you through your experience? Uh, I think, uh, you know, one 
idea that comes to mind is busyness when I think of the things that surprised me. Because at the start, and, you know, it kind of doesn't make sense now, you know, when you think more about it. But at the start of the productivity project, I equated busyness with productivity because, frankly, when you're busier, you feel more productive. There's more going on in your external environment. There's more going on in your head. Your head is a noisier place because you're just doing more in the moment. But then I, you know, the more I dove into this idea of busyness, the less I equated busyness with productivity. And when you think about it, when busyness doesn't lead you to accomplish anything, it's basically just laziness. And and so because of that idea, productivity has nothing to do with how much you produce, even though it's kind of implied in the name. Uh, It really has to do more with how much you accomplish. And so the biggest kind of shift that occurred in my mind uh, when I was doing the productivity project was the the place for laziness in our lives. And I, I really think there's so much value in minimizing how much we do in general, in the moment. Uh, and, and that applies to working slower as well. You know, when you work uh, slower, you have the opportunity to be more deliberate about what you're spending your time on. Uh, you can realign uh, what you're doing so that it fits more with what you intended to do in the first place. You have more awareness while you're working. You procrastinate less because you put less pressure on yourself and you kind of you kind of take it easy on yourself and minimize your self-talk at the same time, by the way, uh, when you work with this uh, at this slower pace. And so I think that was kind of the, the biggest fundamental shift that occurred. You know, on top of realizing the structure of productivity, uh, you know, being about our time, our attention and energy, kind of zooming out to the bigger picture of of what actually influences our productivity over the course of the day. That deliberateness angle uh, really surprised me, I, I think. And there, there was an experiment that I did towards the beginning of the project, and it was about meditation. And so it was meditating for 35 hours over the course of a week. <laughs> and meditation is this ritual I've had for six or seven years now. But I figured at the start of the productivity project, if I'm going to experiment with productivity, I, I can't really meditate, right? Because meditation, you do nothing uh, for an extended period at, at a time. And productivity, I thought was about doing more faster. But when I gave up the ritual, I noticed that I didn't focus as well and that I became more derailed and, and that I couldn't bring my full energy and attention to what I was working on. And so uh, that really showed me, you know, that's when I started that experiment. And I got an insane amount of work done that week, even though I was meditating for 35 hours. When I looked at the logs of my experiment, I realized how much I actually accomplished during that week. And that was kind of the the tipping point for how I thought about productivity. And everything, not everything, but most of the things that I was researching and experimenting with fell into place after that, where, you know, it's not about productivity isn't about doing more, 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 faster, faster, faster. It's instead about doing the right things and doing those things deliberately and, and with intention. Yeah, I, I mean, I completely agree. It's something that I talk about as well. And now, how do you recommend people determine what those right things are in the first place? I, what I like to do, I, I call it the, and I, I forget where I read about this rule first. It's nothing, you know, innovative or new, but it's a simple intention setting rule. I, I think I, I ran across it from a, a man named J.D. Meyer. He's Microsoft's director of business programs. He does this with his team. He also wrote a good book called Getting Results the Agile Way. Um, and it's called The Rule of Three. And, and it goes like this. At the start of the day, you fast forward to the end of the day in your head and you ask yourself, by the time the day is done, what three main things will I want to have accomplished? And there's something weird about our brain that leads us to think in threes. You know, you can see it embedded in our culture. We have the three little pigs, the three blind mice, the three musketeers. Uh, The Olympics just happened. We have three medals, gold, silver, silver, and bronze. We divide stories into three parts, the beginning, the middle, and the end. Um, But it works because it only takes a minute. You know, you don't have to spend hours organizing everything on your plate. You simply take a few minutes before you connect during the day. I do this before I fire up my email or or anything like that to simply decide what I'm going to accomplish that day. And it lets you work more deliberately because you choose, you've pre-decided 
what you're going to work on and if you want to take it up to the next level when you're going to work on it. But it also lets you consider your limits. And so on days when you have a bunch of meetings stacked together, those might limit and inform what intentions you can set that day. And so that, that's how I like to start every morning. And every Sunday, I do the same thing, where I define uh, three intentions for the week ahead. And that, that gives me kind of the guiding light so that when everything hits the fan over the course of the day, which so often it always does, uh, you know, I have this guiding light for what's actually important that day. One of the most common things I hear when I, when I talk about productivity or in, in, a, in a work session or whatever is... Yeah, but so much of my day is determined by other people. And again, since this show, this interview is about you, not me, I'd like to hear how I'm (laughs) sure you run across that. How do you like to respond to that? What's your stance on, you know, the the person who's going to work, you know, he's working 10 hours a day and he's got six bosses and five different hats on (laughs) and all that. Six bosses, man. What kind of job is it? Come down, come down. You're Canadian, man. Come down here. Yeah. (laughs) You know, and um, and and they say, look, I'm just I'm just trying to keep my nose above water and uh, do what everybody tells me and be a good little worker bee. I, I think, you know, so often productivity is a process of understanding our constraints. And, and so an entrepreneur, you know, like like you, like me, we kind of sit on one end of the spectrum where we can fill out our day however the heck we want. And then a factory worker is is on the other side of the spectrum where the day that they have is predefined for them before they get to work. They they have no freedom or flexibility with what they're going to do. But most of us don't work in a factory anymore. You know, we have some modicum of flexibility and freedom with what we work on and when we work on it. And that that's what I usually say to that is, you know, you might not have an insane amount of flexibility, but you likely have some to, to, you know, decide what's important. And this is especially true for when we have more work to do than we have time to do it in, which, you know, is increasingly becoming the case with a lot of people. It's crucial that you decide what's important and set intentions in those, in those situations. And so the idea that our, we have no flexibility with how we spend our time over the course of the day, I haven't seen, I haven't ran into one worker that doesn't have at least a little bit of flexibility with with what they work on and when they work on it. And so, you know, part of it's a process of understanding our constraints um, and, you know, pushing against them if, if they're constricting how much uh, productivity we can get out of the day. But I think a part of it is realizing exactly how much freedom we have to completely agree. I mean, so many people, I think, really, we, and I think myself included, a lot of people, you it's easier to be told what to do. It just is. Yeah. Even if you say you don't want that, it's just easier. And you don't have to take a lot of responsibility for your actions. Therefore, you don't have to take responsibility for your results. And yeah. when you kind of turn that around and say, well, what actually is going on? What, you know, how much uh, flexibility do you have? Where can you add some in your life? It's tough, but it is the step towards, in my opinion, productivity, which is at the end of the day, did you get done what is truly important to you. And I think that's yeah. kind of what you were alluding to. Oh, exactly. And I think, you know, as a general rule, uh, we don't have as many limits in our life as we think we do. Uh, one example, you know, I was at the gym yesterday just doing my workout and I was doing a leg press, you know, where you put your feet up against that little little wall and push it. And, and I usually do about 200. And, you know, I was sitting down, it was it was earlier in the, in the day. And I, I thought, you know, that, that leg press felt a bit heavier today. And, and I looked at how much weight I had on the, on the leg press machine. It was at 300. So I, I'd done... 50% more weight than I usually do. I just thought that I wasn't capable of it. And, you know, it's such a simple example. It's, you know, it's, it's almost a ridiculous example, but we have so many situations like that in our work, in our life, in our relationships, in our friendships. You know, you go down the list, you know, with how you spend your time, with where you live, with where you work, with how long your commute is. You can move closer to work. You know, nothing affects our happiness almost or, or our life satisfaction as much as our commute time. And, and so, you know, you can run down the list and, you know, you feel you have these limits embedded in your work and in your life. But most of the time they're BS. You know, th- you can work your way around them or abolish them entirely oftentimes uh, when uh, when you don't think you can. Completely agree with you on that. We're, we're in total agreement so yeah. far. There's nothing thing we we've disagreed on well this is good well the makes thing for is, an amicable podcast well well the <laughs> thing is you know with productivity if you're dealing with the like you said scientific 
underlay, yeah. then that stuff's been pretty well studied. And I think yeah. one of the things I've I've heard from you know your blog and there's the book reviews and everything is what you kind of have done is you take the science, you applied it to your own life, added some you know different things you've done and some experiments, put it in a kind of an updated personalized yeah. manner and then passed along those nuggets. So I think that's yeah. why there's so many of the similarities there. Um, but the- yeah, it, that, that was the intention with the book is, you know, let's take all of the, the productivity advice out there that works and put it together in one place. Cause I think, you know, not, to, not to sell the book too much. Cause I don't want to be that, that sleazy sales type person that comes on your show and only talks about his book, but like it was a process and, and the project was a process of doing that. You know, there's so much advice out there that simply doesn't work. Um, and you know, usually it's not backed up by science or the science has the opposite thing, uh, like, like our wake up time. Uh, and so, you know, I, I think somebody had to do it and, you know, I was happy to take the bullet for people out there and, you know, separate the stuff that works from the stuff that doesn't. The book is about 250 pages, but there's a there's a thousand page book that I didn't write uh, of the stuff that failed and, and failed miserably. <laughs> yeah. And so let's talk about the, some of the things that did make it in and just as much yeah. about the actual experiment, but what you learned from it. So the interesting one that jumped out to me first was the, uh, you know, you tried to get up early every morning. Um, yeah. and, and I really love this one because oh man, I did not. We well, well, no, I don't like the process of it. But we've had on the show a one of the top sleep researchers in the world, and I kind of put the question on him as well of like I hate waking up in the morning. Like I I'm not an early riser, and Me too, man. so when you said that you know you're a late riser, but you did this 5:30 every morning for three months, which by the way is long enough to not only shift your circadian rhythm, but change your habits and you still didn't like it. So tell us what you, what that was and what you learned from that and what the science says if you, if you researched it. Yeah. (laughs) Oh man, did I research it? Um, it's fascinating what the research shows about what time we wake up, but maybe more important is when we naturally have the most energy over the course of the day. And so depending on our chronotype, which is, you know, when our energy peaks and when it has its valleys, we, you know, we're wired to feel more energy during certain hours of the day. The the example, you know, most people are familiar with is some people are early risers. And so these damn people that wake up and have such a spring in their step at 530 in the morning, um, you know, they're wired to be that way. And there's people like us where we like to be, we get our best work done at at midnight and one or two in the morning. Um, That's when we're wired to be productive and be creative. And everybody is wired differently. Everybody on the planet, Um, you know, some people are early risers, some people are night owls, but by getting a handle over when you naturally have the most energy, you can rewire your day around those hours. And so, you know, this, these peak energy times go by different names. I like the name biological prime time. You know, I think it was a phrase coined by Sam Carpenter uh, in his book, Work the System. And by, why, by you know, structuring our day around when we have the most energy, we can become that much more productive because the hours that we naturally bring more energy to our work are the, are the hours that we're the most productive at the same time. And you know, it's important to consider that when we're thinking about, and again, it goes back to the flexibility point, but if we have the flexibility to, to go into work at, at 9 a.m. instead of 7 a.m., if we're, a, if we're a night owl, you know, let's do that. You know, let, let's implement flex time in our workplaces so that employees can work when they can actually bring the most of themselves to their work. Um, and sleep, again, it works with that point. You know, why don't we sleep when we naturally have the least amount of energy so we can we can use our waking hours wisely? And so these days, uh, you know, I, I usually go to bed. Uh, it, it changes, but I usually go to bed at, you know, 11 or midnight and wake up at, uh, at 8 mo- most days. And because sleep has such a positive impact on our productivity. And the research around sleep and productivity is is fascinating. And the thing that I like the most about sleep, you know, you can't really argue against it. Um, it sleep positively impacts our mental performance in every 
possible measure. We bring more focus to our work. We have more resiliency. We have more energy. We're just more present when we get enough sleep. And I, I like to think of it, you know, these three ingredients of productivity are time, attention, and energy. I like to think of sleep as a way of exchanging our time for energy. And, you know, it's easier for some people who, you know, don't have insomnia as an example. But for the most part, that rings true. When we sleep, we exchange our time for energy. And when we bring more energy to our work, energy is the fuel that we burn in order to get stuff done. And so it allows us to be more productive over the course of the day. And maybe, I, I think I mentioned this <clears throat> earlier on a little bit, but the most fascinating thing that I discovered uh, with regard to our sleep and productivity is that it doesn't matter when we wake up. There is no difference in socioeconomic standing between somebody who wakes up early and somebody who wakes up later. It's what we do with the hours of our day after we wake up that make the biggest difference. And you think about it, and it makes sense. You know, somebody wakes up at 5.30 and somebody wakes up at 8.30. If they have the exact same day and do the exact same things after they wake up, they're going to be just as productive as each other. Um, but the difference, I think, is our energy. And so it's important to consider uh, when our energy peaks naturally, uh, when it dips naturally, and, and take advantage of that uh, as well. Yeah, and I know what um, what our previous guest. I remember. Are, are we in agreement? By the way, are we in agreement on that? I hope so. Yes, on the fact. <laughs> yes, on the fact that uh, when you wake up, doesn't necessarily determine your productivity. But what I was cool. going to say is what my previous guest Till Ronenberg told us is you know the worst part about being a late riser. What might contribute to less productivity is twofold. It's the social stigma that you yeah. might start buying into. And it's also the, uh, the hours we have set as a society. So for example, you know, if I'm not working, I'll wake up at nine 30. Now, yeah, I go to bed later or whatever, but I'll wake up at nine 30 yeah. in the morning. Well, my wife, she is the five 30 in the morning. It is absolutely incredible to see. I have no idea, but yeah, she gets home. Crazy. She's a, yeah, she's a teacher. She gets home around three 30. And so I have to be, well, I don't have to, but if I'm home, it's, it's, it's in my best interest to be family man starting around four. So if I wake up at nine, nine thirty, and I'm family man at three thirty four, then there, you know, and I have a son and all that. So there is some difficulty adjusting to your environment if your chronotype doesn't line up with that. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, oh totally. Yeah. And, and you have to account for that, I think. But, uh, I have a theory and, you know, there's no research behind it, but, you know, that what makes the difference in, uh, you know, in our productivity with regard to what time we wake up at isn't that we wake up earlier that we wake up later, but it's that we're deliberate about waking up. You know, if we kind of have a rough start to the day and we sleep in and hit snooze a bunch of times and don't have a purpose for what we're going to do after we wake up or have a set morning ritual or routine, uh, we're not going to get that much done and not have a productive start to our day. But if we plan out our morning and if we're deliberate about uh, going to bed at a certain time and then waking up at a certain time and we have our structure of our morning laid out for us, I, I think that's more conducive to to being productive and it goes back to that that deliberateness point we can't be deliberate about every single thing that we do um you know it's a good thing that we blink automatically because if we had to think about blinking or breathing it would be a tough life um but you know 40 45 percent of the things we do are habits and that's a good thing but with things that make a big difference in our productivity like what time we wake up at uh, like what we're going to work on over the course of the day or the week or like when we work on our most important work. Uh, so structuring our doing our three daily intentions when we naturally have the peak energy periods of our day. That makes a big difference in how much we accomplish. And it goes back to that kind of main turning point of the productivity project where, you know, it is about this deliberateness instead of just doing things on mindless autopilot, you know, stepping back to do things deliberately and with intention. So pumped to have Casper supporting the show again. Casper is a sleep brand that created one perfect mattress sold directly to consumers, eliminating commission-driven inflated prices. Its award-winning sleep surface was developed in-house, has a sleek design, and is delivered in a small, how-did-they-do-that sized box. In addition to the mattress, Casper also offers an adaptive pillow and soft, breathable sheets. I can speak firsthand for the pillow. It is absolutely amazing. The Casper is an 
obsessively engineered mattress at a shockingly fair price. Mattresses can often cost well over $1,500, but Casper mattresses start at $500 for a twin-size mattress, $750 for a full, $850 for a queen, and $950 for a king. It combines springy latex and supportive memory foams to create an award-winning sleep surface with just the right sink and just the right bounce. It is such a great mattress, Time Magazine named it one of the best inventions of 2015. Buying a Casper mattress is completely risk-free. Casper offers free delivery and free returns with a 100-night home trial. If you don't love it, they'll pick it up and refund you everything. And let us not forget, it is made in America. Get $50 towards any mattress purchase by visiting www.casper.com smart and using offer code SMART. That's www.casper.com slash SMART and offer code SMART. Terms and conditions apply. And now back to the episode. So another another experiment is this living in total isolation for 10 days, I believe it was. Um, yeah. What was the learning from that? And, and what actually, what productivity hack or tip or whatever it was led you to do that in the first place? Yeah, with, with the experiments, a lot of them sound a bit weird on the surface, and that, that's a good example of one that does. Uh, but I, I started with something that I wanted to measure and then worked backwards to a crazy experiment that allowed me to measure it while looking at the research around that topic. So, so my intention with that experiment was to, to measure the effect of not being around people for 10 days, I think. You know, I, I always forget how long these things were. I think it was 10 days. Um, you know, not being around people for 10 days, um, as well as not feeling sunlight for, for the 10 days. But the people aspect of that experiment quickly took over. And, you know, when you totally cut yourself off from other people, uh, you don't really take a moment to step back when you're kind of immersed in the social world and, and living with people and, you know, working with people. You don't often take a step back and realize how crucial people are uh, for your productivity, for your motivation in the first place. Um, you know, one, one of my favorite studies, I have a lot of favorite studies, but, you know, they, they show that you're seven times more likely to be engaged with your work when your best friend works at the same place. And, you know, that that filters down to a team environment where the more cohesive a team is, the more motivated the people on that team are and the more productive they are. And that goes for your work too. The, the more people you interact with on a daily basis, people are what give you energy to get stuff done. Uh, but maybe more, more so than that, it showed me that, you know, when I got rid of essentially all the people in my life. You know, I missed people badly, but I became grateful at the same time for all the different people that I have in my life. You know, the people who supported the project, uh, my girlfriend who I was living with at the time who supported it from day one. Uh, I became grateful for the people that, you know, I met at Starbucks every day because, you know, they, they kind of, um, you know, gave me a bit of motivation and said hello and were a part of my, my daily ritual. And, I realized in that experiment that, you know, people don't only give us energy to become more productive and the motivation to become more productive, but they're the reason for productivity in the first place. You know, if we woke up in the morning and we were the only person left on the planet, it wouldn't matter how productive we were. You know, it wouldn't matter how much work we got done if we didn't have people to share the, resu the results, the fruits of that productivity with. And so, you know, it was one of those rare experiments, you know, the, the different experiments taught me uh, a lot of specific lessons, but that one gave me uh, a sense of where productivity deserves to be fit into our life. Uh, and it's that productivity exists for the benefit of the people around us. That is an angle I've never really thought of, uh, thought of productivity from, you know, this idea that what's the point of getting all these things done if there's no one there to share it with and yeah. i think you know if there was any pushback it would be what about perhaps creating something for the sake of its creation you know what i mean like maybe that would be just the sake of enjoying the process of doing it perhaps but like if you write a beautiful symphony and, and never play it why does that symphony exist you know, I, I think, you know, nothing ever exists in a vacuum and, and productivity is the same way because productivity 
you know, it almost always, you know, I think without exception involves other people because you work with other people, you coordinate your time with other people, your work, hopefully, if it has some meaning benefits other people, right? Well, impact and, other people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, I think people are essential for productivity, in, inseparable from productivity. Well, I'll tell you, one of the things that was a real shock to my system when I worked, started working from home uh, the majority of the time was the isolation. I mean, yeah. I knew I was a people person, but man, I like I was not prepared for what that can do because like you said, and then yeah. some some simple fixes, although this sounds depressing or whatever if you've never been in that is to just go into an environment where there are other people even if you aren't talking or engaging with them directly yeah you know like like a coffee shop yeah. like uh like what 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 do you do to not go insane I, is that like the main thing you do well, for, for working from home there's a lot of things but one i mean i go yeah. to the gym i found that that's great just because i don't yeah. know it feels healthy everybody's there um i go to the grocery store because again, I'm big on health, and so, you know, I'm 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 doing my body a favor by looking for new foods, thinking of new recipes. There's people around. You talk to the maybe cashier on the way out. Those types of things. And then on the flip side, I try to tell myself when I have extended periods of time by myself to enjoy it instead of of wanting the opposite. You know what I mean? Yeah. I think the the biggest key. In, in in all of it, in terms of uh, working from home or self-motivation, is being grateful or happy for the uh, the ability to do either of those. So I kind of try yeah. to yin and yang in a little bit. Yeah, me and me too. And it's something that I struggle with, to be honest. You know, the, the biggest negative thing that impacts my productivity is that most of my day, I'm I'm doing my own thing, you know, w without other people, you know, whether it's writing a book, you know, it's difficult to write a book with other people, because you can't show other people the idea, the ideas that are inside of your own head without writing them down first, and you have to write the book before you do that. Um, you know, doing that is one, uh, preparing talks is another that that's usually done, um, you know, most of the time by yourself, and you know, you show it to other people beforehand. And, you realize just how fortunate um, you know you are to have people in your life at the same time. I, I like to do things at coffee shops, and you know it's a simple trick. Like I, I think you mentioned it, but you're surrounded by people, so you get the social interaction. You say hi to people. Um, you know the gym is another thing. If you go to the gym at the same time every day, you meet the people who have also made that exact same routine, and you begin to to get to know them and and work out with them a little bit. And so yeah. The, Forming routines that involve people, I, I think, is essential when you do that work from home. Yeah. So for those of you that work from home, well, and let us know. We're at Smart People Pod on Twitter. If you yeah. work from home and you're listening to this, what's your Twitter account, Chris? Do you oh, have one? Do you I, use I, it? Yeah, I have a couple. I, I use it very infrequently. Mm. My my personal one is at Wiggle Chicken. That, that's my that's my personal one. Wow. Well, I my, don't even know if website, I, I... I mean, I think it, can we go any further? Wait. Wiggle yeah. Chicken. Wiggle Chicken. Just felt um, right. It, you know, it felt so right at the time before I became a productivity expert, <laughs> but but now it's uh, the the problem is I got that little blue check mark on my Twitter mm -hmm. now, yeah, and like you can't change your username after you get the, this verified thing, yeah. Um, and so I'm stuck with Wiggle Chicken, I guess. Hey, um, I like so that's it. just the way things are going to be. But I also have um, uh, one for my website, which is at ALO Productivity, which uh, I might change. You know, uh, you know, I have the flexibility to do that. Yeah. Well, or Wiggle Chicken too. Maybe it could be Wiggle Chicken too. Wiggly so chickens. <laughs> Wiggly chicken. <laughs> All different permutations of that. You know, you might have to go back and listen to this interview a few times, but we have covered some really interesting and, and useful topics of productivity. One that I'm interested in, I read about somewhere in my research of you. I don't remember much of it, but it was this idea of productive procrastination. Yeah. Tell me what you mean by that, because I have my own thoughts on procrastination. I, I think, you know, the, the first thing that you got to realize about procrastination is that it is human to procrastinate and everybody on the planet 
put stuff off. Um, and that, that includes the procrastination researchers that I've spoken to um, over, over the last few years. They procrastinate on stuff. And uh, one of them, his name is Pierce Steele. You should have him on the show. He's a cool guy. Hmm. Um, he, one, of, one of his surveys, and you should also have another procrastination researcher named Tim Pitchell on the show. Uh, he'll be amazing, too. He's like such a calm guy. He meditates all the time. Huh. Um, man, now I lost my train of thought. Oh, oh yeah. Uh, Pier- Pierce did a study where he surveyed people and asked, you know, figured out, tried to figure out whether they procrastinate or not. And 95% of people admitted to procrastinating. And, you know, the other 5% are probably lying. They're, they're these people who, who never have any negative self-talk who are totally <laughs> full of themselves, uh, the, the Trumps of the world. <laughs> and, and, and so... Uh, you know, he, he, he has some, you know, curious research on how everybody procrastinates, but pro- productive procrastination is kind of embracing this fact where if we're going to procrastinate on something, let's do something productive while we're putting off something. And so I, I like to do this by keeping a procrastination list. And so these are the things that, uh, I, I can do as an alternative to, um, to a task that I'm procrastinating on. So like organizing my filing cabinet, um, which is right next to me here. Uh, I've been putting that off. So that's on the procrastination list, you know, rearranging the, the bookshelves in my office here is another. So these, these aversive tasks that are an alternative to the, something that I really don't want to do that I'm procrastinating on. And it works. I, I don't know what it is about this, this method, but you know, I guess you, you bring some deliberateness down to what you're doing. Uh, so when you find yourself putting something off, you have productive alternatives to doing that. And, and why we procrastinate is fascinating at the same time. You know, procrastination is a purely visceral and emotional reaction to something we just don't want to do. But it turns out that there are certain triggers, and this is something that, that Tim uh, researched, uh, that a task can have that make you more likely to procrastinate on it. And those are whether a task is boring, whether it's frustrating, whether it's difficult, whether, I try to remember them all now, whether yeah. it lacks personal meaning, uh, whether it lacks intrinsic reward, so it's not rewarding in and of itself, whether it's ambiguous, and whether it's unstructured. And so it doesn't have a structure built into it. Oh man, I'm patting myself. I can't believe you got all those. Yeah. Yeah. I'm so happy. I'm so pleased with myself right now. (laughs) I I don't think I can go on. I don't think I need to, to be honest with you, but but I will. So, so the more of these attributes a task has, the more likely you are to put it off. So doing your taxes is a good example of one because it's boring. It's frustrating. It's difficult. It has no meaning. It's not rewarding. It's totally ambiguous and unstructured, which is why the tax, the, the like multi uh, hundred billion dollar tax prep industry exists because doing your taxes is so damn aversive. Um, but you can kind of work your way backwards. And so this is a tactic on top of making that procrastination list um, that you can deploy when you find yourself putting something off. You can work your way backwards when you find yourself saying something, oh, I'll just get around to that tomorrow, or I don't have time for that today, or you know, I really feel like doing that, I'll do this instead. Using that as a trigger to look through this list and think, okay, which of these attributes does this task have? Um, and making a plan to reverse them. And so, you know, I, I think it's possible to make doing your taxes as like sexy as a task as watching a season of uh, of something on Netflix. It, you can make it less boring by doing it at a cafe or, or over your favorite latte, um, or you can make it less frustrating by rewarding yourself as you as you go through it. So, for every fifteen minutes you spend doing your taxes, you put five dollars in a fun fund or something that you can use to spend later. Um, it's unstructured. Maybe you can hire somebody to do them for you and eliminate all these triggers at once. And so you can kind of, and it takes a bit of planning to do this. And you have to be, you know, again, it goes back to the deliberateness idea. But once you disassemble a task um, and realize exactly what's putting you off about that task, you can make a plan to, to get over that. This is a very, this is a very dense interview. You're, you're right with what you just said like a, like a while ago. People are going to have to listen to this a couple times, I feel. Yeah, but that's the whole point of this podcast. I mean, yeah. if, if, if you just come on here and say some, you know, topical, skim the surface stuff, then what's Be the point? Be yourself. You know? Be yourself. But it's like the thing, of, one of the things about procrastination that I found is as you procrastinate, as things get closer and closer to their due date, you are artificially 
um, producing adrenaline. And so, yeah. you know, in college now, you know, I would wait until the right before it was due and then I could stay up later and do it on the flip side. Uh, it's kind of been proven that you often don't do your best work at the last minute. So I think I, I like what you were, what you were, uh, proposing is kind of somewhere in the middle, which is like, notice the procrastination and see if there are ways to eliminate or modify the portions that you don't want to do. Like for example, yeah. taxes, it, I usually get money back. I'm kind of excited to do my taxes cause I can't wait for that little, uh, you know, bonus I have at the yeah. end of, you know, at April 16th or whatever it is. If it lacks intrinsic rewards, like, uh, you know, if you don't find the process rewarding, get one of those pieces of software you can, where you can see the, the refund you're going to get go up with each page you fill stuff out in, you know, and, and there are ways to, to kind of reverse things. And on, on the deadline idea, um, you know, you're, you're not the most productive toward the end of a deadline. You're the most motivated right. because the deadline is coming up and you're about to screw up. And you're probably more creative then because your brain has had time to, to formulate and connect dots and, and piece ideas together. But you're not the most productive. But you can simulate that or that kind of deadline intensity uh, artificially at the same time. So, you know, telling yourself instead of you know, writing this report this afternoon and taking the entire afternoon to do it, say to yourself, okay, I'm going to schedule 45 minutes of time this afternoon to work on this report. Um, and that will force you, because you shrink the amount of time you do something over, to expend more energy over that shorter distance of time so you can get it done. And I find this works uh, incredibly well. And you can get, uh, when you're hyper-focused on something, you can get an insane of work done. You can get, you know, an afternoon's amount of work done in one hour when, when you bring your complete attention to it. What's that law? The law where uh, a, a task will fill up the amount of space allotted to it. Oh, yeah. Uh, Parkinson's law. Parkinson's law. Where, where a task will expand to fit the amount of time available for its completion. There you go. I mean, that there's definitely truth behind that. It's like, oh, yeah. we interviewed a guy, oh man, I don't remember when this was. I don't even remember why we were talking about this, but <laughs> he said, maybe he was referring to a study, just don't even worry about that part. But if you, okay. he was talking about a dentist who was trying to figure out ways to get people to floss their teeth. And at the end of the day, what he settled on was having people commit to flossing one tooth once a day. And of course, what does that lead to? You know what I mean? They yeah. would just say, well, yeah. I'm already doing it. So it's the thing. I used it for meditation. I was like, fine. Uh, yes, I want to work up to 20 minutes a day, but I'm going to start with two minutes. And right now I'm up to yeah. seven. You know, it's a slow progression. And, so. and another, another thing that works is feeling out your resistance to a certain task. And so you know, if you want to start meditating, you know, be kind to yourself when you're starting. And so, you know, instead of saying, okay, I'm going to meditate for half an hour every single day this week, you can say to yourself, okay, do I feel like meditating for half an hour? Nah, it's too long. The thought of it puts me off. Okay, what about 25? Eh, 20, no. What about 20 minutes? Eh, still 15 minutes? No, still 10 minutes? Yeah, I can do 10 minutes. And then you meditate for 10 minutes. And then you meditate, uh, you know, you actually meditate instead right. of putting off the ritual. Right. And, you know, so often, and it goes to the idea of resistance in a lot of the tasks that we do, um, that resistance is all of the resistance that we feel when we're about to do something, that's all stacked towards the beginning of actually doing that task. And so once we actually get started on doing that thing, we're not going to put it off. We're, we're going to be immersed in the task. We're going to realize that, hey, this actually isn't so bad. Um, and we're going to keep going. We're going to have the momentum to, to continue forward. That's true for meditation. It's true for working out. You know, if the, the secret to running every day is to shrink how long you're going to run for until you reach an amount of time that you feel comfortable with. You know, you, you know even if it's 10 seconds, you're going to run and then you're going to realize, you know, I can go for 20 seconds and 30 and a minute and 10 minutes. And then you work your way up. But you have to overcome that that resistance to, to starting out. Absolutely. Well, Chris, it has been a pleasure. Thanks so much for taking the time to be on the show. Again, as we mentioned, the book is The Productivity Project. And then your website is a lifeofproductivity.com. 
Uh, we talked about Wiggly Chicken or wig, Wiggle, oh, wiggle Chicken. Wiggle Chicken. Yeah. If, if you happen Follow to want to catch Chris on Twitter, <laughs> uh, anywhere else that you know, hey, people, check this out. Do this. This is great. Read this. Anything like that. Oh, that, that that's good. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, wiggle Chicken, the Productivity Project, uh, a life of productivity dot com, and uh, oh, I just I just did a, a TEDx event over in Liverpool. Um, that, that it'd be cool if you watch that because it kind of in 18 minutes or so sums up my <laughs> thinking about productivity. Um, and yeah, if, if you're into TED talks, check that one out. Maybe you can link to it in show notes or something like that. But mm-hmm. yeah, that, that's uh, those are the the I, I guess as they say in marketing, the touch points yeah. of where I am online. So now that you've <laughs> listened to an hour long podcast, you can go get all of it in a condensed version at. TEDx. <laughs> yeah. Now nah, we nah. should have told people that at the beginning. <laughs> no way. So they didn't have to go through the hour. <laughs> no, this is supposed to be entertainment as much as learning uh, and enjoyment. <laughs> that's good. That's good. I feel this is entertaining. It was great. Well, Chris, thanks again so much. Glad we got to connect. And uh, once this goes live, I'll we'll go ahead and send you the link and let you know. I love it. Thanks so much, man. All right. Thanks. Have a great day. You too. All right. Bye bye. Welcome back. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Chris Bailey. His book, The Productivity Project, Accomplishing More by Managing Your Time, Attention, and Energy can be found on Amazon and at your local bookstore. And please do not forget, if you're going to purchase it through Amazon, use the Smart People Podcast Amazon link located at smartpeoplepodcast.com slash Amazon. Any purchase you make through the link comes to no additional cost to you and truly does help support the show. If you're looking for other free and easy ways to support the show, please head over to iTunes and leave a rating and review over there. I think I say it every episode, but it truly does mean the world to us. If you take a minute or two out of your day to leave a review and help us with our rankings on the iTunes charts. If you'd like to reach out to the show, please email us at smartpeoplepodcast at gmail.com or shoot us a message on Twitter at smartpeoplepod. That's it for me this week. As always, stay tuned to all things Smart People Podcast by heading over to smartpeoplepodcast.com and signing up for the newsletter. We've got some great episodes coming up, and we will see you all next episode.